Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. It's time for another Q&A with Dr. J. We ask, he answers via Skype. Our questions today center on living the Christian life, which, as many of us know, isn't always easy. There are roadblocks the devil wants to put up there to keep us from having that happy, healthy life that God intends for us. And Dr. Jennings is here to address some of these issues as I ask them. Dr. Jennings, are you ready for this? I'm ready, Charles. All right, here's your first question. Dr. Jennings, how can you give a blanket answer to a particular question Isn't there such a thing as situation ethics? Yes, there is. Absolutely. The situation will often determine the action taken, but the principles never change. For instance, love seeks what's best for other people. So let's look at a a mother's love or a father's love. And let's say it's a mature godly love. Then that parent always has what's best in heart for their children. But the circumstances will often dictate whether the parent is tickling them, whether the parent is putting them in time out, whether the parent is yelling at them because they're running towards the street, whether the parent is putting them in an ice bath because they have a fever of 106. Mm. In other words, whether the parent is requiring them to have needles stuck into their arms because they have leukemia and they need a transfusion. In other words, the circumstances may cause the parent to act in ways that the child may not even understand. They just feel the pain of the needle, don't have any clue why. Why are you hurting me, mommy? But we're doing it because we're saving them. And so love always acts with the principle of beneficence, healing, what's in their best interest. But the action itself is dictated by the situation or the circumstance. All right. Very good. Number two, Dr. Jennings. I want to feel like God is going to protect me when bad things happen, but then I suffer. Is God just trying to teach me a lesson? Why doesn't he just let me learn lessons from the Bible instead? So this is a great question, and and it really is uh, multifaceted. First element is bad things. Why do bad things happen? And bad things happen in this world for a variety of reasons. One reason is God has some purpose in that, and that is commonly put forth that we interpret something as bad, but in fact it is for our good that we can't see at that moment. Example that I uh, gave uh, just a moment ago, a child getting an injection of a medicine or a blood transfusion, and and their only perception is needles and pain, and they think it's bad for them, but the parent is actually saving them, but their maturity level can't comprehend it. So, So many of us, if we look at our lives, can look back at our life history and see a moment in time where maybe a relationship broke up, or we lost a job, or we, uh, had a house that we were evicted from or whatever. And then we look at those circumstances and we see that at that time we thought, why, why God, I was doing everything. Why did you let this happen? And then we look to where we were led and something much better came to us. Mm. And had we not lost that thing or that relationship or that job, then we wouldn't have found ourselves in a better place. So most of us can see those times when a painful event happens that God permits because he's leading us in an other direction. But it would be naive and false to conclude that all painful things in life are brought to us by God for our betterment. That is not true. The book of Job exposes that as a lie. Job is perfect and righteous in all his ways. There's no one on the earth like him. And many bad and painful things came to him not because God 
brought these things to help him in some way, but because there was an enemy that was trying to discourage him to give up his faith in God. And there is a war and we live in a war zone. And we have to understand in this world today, we're in a war zone between the forces of good and the forces of evil. And sometimes the forces of evil are able to harm the people of good. And that was what was happening in the book of Job. And it had nothing to do with righteousness, nothing to do with lack of faith, nothing to do with God teaching him a lesson. It had simply to do he was in a war zone. And so we have to have some discernment. And sometimes things happen simply because in this war zone, random events happen. A car accident, a lightning strike, a a storm hits. uh, None of these things can we ultimately attribute to an act of God or an act of the devil. Sometimes they just happen. And then sometimes we have painful events that we brought upon ourselves that we may or may not know. A person who smokes two packs a day for many years and gets lung cancer, we can trace that straight back. Other times a person may get a cancer and we can't trace it back, but if we knew every variable in the life, we might discover that they lived in a house at some time that had a certain toxin that was in the soil that they is in the water that they drank and, and that contributed to it, but they didn't even know it at the time and it, and it led to it. So there are variables that we can never fully explain in this world today. All right, war zone, I like that because it explains a lot when those bad things happen. We just say, well, God might be teaching something here, but or we just may be the result of living in a war zone. With the larger God perspective, we have to understand that regardless of all these types of things or reasons why, in the end, God restores it all. All sin, all disease, all damage. The earth is made new, and those who trust the Lord will ultimately be restored. And if you look at the larger landscape of human history, even people who lived before the flood for 900 years, let's look at a righteous man like Methuselah, 969 years. Well, he's not alive today. So, you know, what's the advantage of living 900 years if you don't know the Lord? The ultimate plan of God is to come to know him so that he can give us eternal life. Whether we live 20 years or 900 years, in God's perspective, we still die young if we don't know him. All right, we are having a Q&A with Dr. J here on today's program. Here's the next one. Dr. Jennings, what should I do when I feel like I'm unsavable and that God has abandoned me? I feel like such a sinner and there's no hope for me. Oh, my. So that's a great question. And I would tell you, if you have those feelings, those feelings are evidence that you are, in fact, savable. Because the unsavable are the ones who have the various metaphors of scripture seared the conscience or grieved the Holy Spirit, which means they have no sense of their sinfulness. They have no sense of their inadequacy. They have no sense of their their being out of harmony with God. They have no sense of their guilt. They actually feel quite good about themselves, and they feel quite righteous, and they feel quite virtuous, and everything they do is right, and there's no guilt, and there's no conviction. In other words, they are cut off from the Holy Spirit. The fact that a person would say this to me would tell me that, in fact, they are quite savable, that their heart is still reaching by truth and love, and that they have a longing to be better than what they are. And so then I would start the conversation about, so what is it in your life that's going on that makes you feel like that you're beyond saving? And typically you'll find some habitual sin pattern. Maybe it's an addiction of some kind. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's something, a particular sin that they've struggled with that they haven't got the victory over, but they still feel great remorse and humiliation and maybe shame for. And this is actually meaning that they are quite savable and quite healable from that. And then we begin working on that process. Now, you've done a show on this before, Dr. Jennings, the word feel. They feel like they're unsavable. Can we trust our feelings? No, feelings can lie. Feelings are just data. 
Sometimes we have feelings that are quite accurate. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we have feelings that are partially accurate. And sometimes we have feelings that are quite fraudulent. Any feeling that you have that says you're beyond God's salvation is always a lie. That feeling is really something else. It really is a personal self-condemnation. The truth of that feeling is I feel so horrible that I don't like being me this way. And I don't love me this way. How Mm -hmm. could someone else love me this way? Mm -hmm. And it's an evidence of one's misperception of the infinite love of God and how God can see beyond your current circumstance to how beautiful and righteous you can be if you'll simply trust him and let him fix the brokenness inside. Next question for Dr. J here on today's program. Dr. Jennings, how can I make up for all the bad things I've done? We can't change history. So if you mean make up, how can I go back and undo? You can't undo history. David Mm -hmm. murdered Uriah and had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. He could not go back and resurrect Uriah, erase history, go back in time and redo. We don't get redos. So history cannot change. What can change, what did change for David, is David had had a, a new heart and a right spirit. Through God's grace, the motives in our heart that led us in the past to do wrong can be removed, and we can have the law of God written in our hearts and minds be reborn, regenerated, circumstances of the heart by the Spirit. We can be recreated in the inner man so that we can become godlike, so that we live new lives with new motives and principles, but we don't get to undo history. Once we have a new heart that wants to live Live righteously, there are times and places that it is necessary to seek to make amends for past wrongs as we continue to grow. So if we've stolen something, we seek to return it. But we only seek to make amends in past wrongs to the ones that have actually harmed and only in ways that it doesn't add harm or create injury new. I'll give you a simple example. A person who committed adultery in their marriage in the first year of their marriage, and they have now come to the Lord, and they only did it one time. Mm-hmm. And they've been faithful and loyal. They've been married for 35 years. It's 35 years later. And now they come to the Lord and they're convicted and they remember this sin that they committed 35 years ago. They do not need to go to their wife or husband and tell them that because what would that do to them? It would mm-hmm. actually infect the innocent party with all types of hurt, pain, insecurity, potential guilt, and damage. And so that would be seeking to make amends in which they actually add harm. So that would be an example of not going back at that time. But we don't we don't make amends if we're going to add harm. But we we do seek to experience a change of heart where we, we live new lives. So we can't change history. We get a change of heart, and then we live new methods, and we restore as far as possible what we've taken from others. And then will God judge me for those bad things that I didn't even know I did? In other words, you did not know the truth and you did bad things. Is God going to judge you on that? No, that's a great question. So the judgment question is almost always asked through the lens of imperial law, human law, bad deeds and behaviors. It's the wrong modality and the wrong law lens. You need to ask it through design law lens, and you would ask it instead of using the word judgment, use the word diagnosis. And you would say, so will a doctor diagnose me as terminal because I used to have uh, cancer cells in my body that are now in remission because I've taken the treatment, so I'm no longer cancerous? Will he judge me as terminal, diagnose me as terminal because I had that bad disease, and when I had it, I had diarrhea and vomit and made a terrible mess. Mm-hmm. Well, how will I be judged? You'll be judged not based on history. You're judged based on the condition of your heart at the judgment. 
Have you surrendered your heart, be recreated within, have a new heart and right spirit? So in the judgment, David will always historically have the history of being a murderer and adulterer. Yes. But in the judgment, he's not judged as a murderer and adulterer. He is judged as a righteous person, a man after God's own heart, because the heart of sin was removed, the heart of stone was removed, and he had a godly heart created in. That's who he is today, even though he did those historic deeds. And something tells me that God is more interested in why you did it than what you did. Am I right in saying that? That's exactly right. The motive is the key, not ultimately the action itself. It's the motive for the action and is the motive an act of love seeking to be godly and promote the kingdom of God, or is it an act of selfishness and fear seeking to advance self at the exploitation of others? All right. Well, uh, we have about one minute left here, Dr. Jennings, and I want to invite everyone to the website, commonreason.com. And here's your final question. This is from me. Dr. Jennings, why are you here? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you have a website with books like The God-Shaped Brain, The God-Shaped Heart, and The Aging Brain? Why are you here? Jesus said, when the kingdom of God is presented to the whole world as witness to all nations, the end will come. I want to see an end of pain, suffering, and sin. And I believe that the Christian church has been infected with a false imperial God who runs his universe like a dictator runs Rome, and that God is waiting for a people to rise up to give the true presentation of our creator God, whose laws are the laws that reality are built upon, and who is seeking to heal and restore us into harmony with him. And when this message goes to the world, he will come and take his people home. Mm. Commonreason.com is the website. You can be part of what Dr. Jennings just said if you go there and visit the website, listen to these programs, read the books, and learn how to look at the world through that God lens, through that wonderful love and forgiving lens right there. And CommonReason.com has resources to learn how to do that. Dr. Jennings, as always, thank you so much for sharing today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. <music>